I'm Aaron Armstrong. I'm Pete Moran. I'm Carrie Nelson. And we love to watch. We love to watch says, Mamas, don't let your babies grow up to be babies. The word is about there's something evolving. Whatever may come, the world keeps revolving. They say the next big thing is here, that the revolution's near. But to me it seems quite clear that it's all just a little bit of history repeating. What? Because <laughs> the mascot. Oh, got it. I'm like, well, she died. How is, though. The, how is the name? It's of like their it's more like it's more like babies. don't let your mamas grow up because in one of the timelines they the mama didn't grow up all the way. <laughs> I, she, she grew up to a mature age. Yeah, but not all the way. She didn't. She didn't double mature. When people die, I'm like, they've grown up all the way now. That's how I say it. <laughs> You're as old uh, as you're hi, ever going to get. Show? What are we doing? Here? Yeah, it's We Love to Watch. We're a movie podcast. We pick a theme. We do movies around that theme. And we're at the end of our February uh, 2020 theme, Groundhog Day. And we're doing it with a uh, – we're, we're doing it <laughs> – we're doing the ending uh, with a double feature. Two recent entries that the first one was a massive hit and everyone loved. And the second one was a movie everyone loved. That no one went and saw, and so we're not going to get a third one, which is too bad. But I'm excited to talk about uh, both of these movies. They are Happy Death Day and Happy Death Day to You, directed by Michael Landon's son, which I found out doing research. Uh, (laughs) Which was very funny to me for some reason. Uh, But yeah, and we're joined by uh, probably like – I've lost count, to be honest. I think we're at like eight or nine. Guest I think it's be- nine. Nine guests to be too. So you're gonna uh, in April with your pre-booked one. You're gonna hit the the magic number X. Yeah. For Hell e- yeah. Extreme guest appearances. Uh, <laughs> Ready. And uh, yeah, Carrie Nelson, who's our nine nine time guest, sometimes executive producer, one of our favorite people. Carrie, welcome back to the show again. Thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. We love to watch does theme months. You are the first guest that we have pretty consistently been doing uh, 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 an underlying theme for the past few entries. <laughs> that yeah. was one of the reasons that you jumped uh, at a chance to guest for this episode. I actually, I did a count today, and of the nine, that's how I know it's nine, because of the nine movies I've done, five of them have been on this theme. Of of <laughs> dead mothers. Of dead moms. <laughs> And spoiler alert, your 10th one will also feature quite a lot of dead mothers on a global scale. Um, <laughs> Guys, uh, wait that's out for next summer when Carrie's on every episode, and it's a mother- the summer of dead moms. So, summer of dead moms. So this, this theme month is about Groundhog Day movies, movies that repeat the same time period over and over and over again. Uh, the first movie uh, calls out very explicitly what it's ripping off, which is uh, Groundhog Day. And the second movie... Because they made a sequel to a Groundhog Day one, which I think is the only instance when I did some research. And they do a little bit of the Groundhog Day stuff, but they also heavily rip off uh, Back to the Future 2, which is also called out. And that they go into a, uh alternate or parallel universe um, and then start reliving a day through that. So very clever setup that I'm excited to talk about more. And the, yeah. the first one, the first it, yeah. one is – It feels like a Back to the Future thing where it's it, – it, it, because it shares – 
not 100%, but let's say 90% of the same cast. It's on the same sets. Um, it's It shares a lot of the same uh, visual references. Like, it feels like they... They picked up the camera after they stopped filming the first one and started filming another. And, like, I have very few movies to connect with that. Um, and, and in terms of, like, taking uh, what is a pretty lean, mean, perfect kind of machine um, from the first movie and then making a weirdo sequel that kind of riffs on it and takes it into different genres, the only thing I could think of that could, to compare it to is, like, Bride of Frankenstein. Yeah, I mean, the movie itself calls out Back to the Future 2, um, yeah. which, and the joke both times that Tree, our main character, has never heard of either of these movies that she's living through borrowed, somewhat borrowed plots in a very lovingly, in a very loving uh, way. What's interesting, though, is that the director, again, uh, Michael Landon's son, said, uh, we Michael will Landon's son. Michael Landon's son. Uh, he said that when he made the first movie that all his ideas for the sequel were already fleshed out and already present in the first movie. And having watched – I watched them back to back for this. This is my third time watching both. Same. Um, but this is this is like the only time where I literally ended the first one and went to the second one. And holy cow, can you see that? He says like oh, yeah, yeah. there is stuff in the first movie like the power outages, which never get explained in the first movie. And when you're watching it, you can just kind of go along and go, oh, it's just a nice plot contrivance that like has this then like climactic moment where they where use we're it. at in the day. Yeah, yeah, and, and then but but you they never really get an explanation, and then the second one, all those like power outages align with this other story that we're gonna learn about, even up to like um, the guy who his roommate who keeps getting out of his car, like, and he talks about not wanting to sleep in his car another night. We open the second movie with that guy getting out of his car. It is amazing how well they fit together, and I am very disappointed. Let's let's kind of start at the end. This movie ends with kind of a great little, like, sequel hook in a way the first one didn't. And unfortunately, while the first one was a huge surprise success, it's a $5 million budget, made like $150 million. Uh, the second one did like $25 million at the box office. Um, and as of right now, there is no sequel or third one planned. The director has said that someday he wants to... Uh, leak this script that he's already kind of written or story ideas out so that people can see where he was going with the capper of the trilogy. But uh, yeah, it's it's kind of disappointing because that's I, a bummer. I was expecting them to make it. Yeah, it just it like I didn't know that. Again, the budget for the second one was nine million. It made twenty five million dollars, but that's worldwide. So and that's d the marketing budget might have been another nine, right? Like with these with these Blumhouse mm -hmm. movies, like the budget might be one to one with the marketing budget. Yeah, it's just a surprise because like one thing I want to kind of plant on. So we've been talking a lot about this this month about what these kind of um, Groundhog Day is kind of its own thing, and then these other movies borrow from it. This one is very very similar to Groundhog Day. Obviously, the big changes are uh the the way that uh it everything stops and resets is when she dies which is similar to edge of tomorrow um and then the main change from all the other versions that we've talked about this month are that the the death and the dying starts to have physical effects on her so she does recover but she has like these deep scars from all the trauma that she's put herself to 
through, which in fairness, like she does not change her behavior at, upon learning that because like she's still like, oh, there's trauma because of all the ways I've injured myself. I'll still throw myself 40 stories off a clock. To, like, that's fine. Like, maybe start taking sleeping pills when you need to reset the day instead of <laughs> doing these yeah. horrifically trauma- traumatic things. Uh, but then I get you don't get as good of a montage. But that's kind of that's kind of the big difference between uh between uh the other Groundhog Day incarnations and this one. And the other big difference from marketing, we talked about this with Edge of Tomorrow, we talked about this with Triangle, that the marketing for those movies was that they kinda kept their the day repeats pretty close to the chest prior to the movie's release. That was especially true with Edge of Tomorrow. Uh, until the movie was released and they kind of did some more trailers and TV spots that really kind of gave away what was going on. And Triangle, while we haven't seen trailers from it, like all the marketing is just hooded killer on a boat. This is the one that I remember the trailers very clearly, like laying out, it's Groundhog Day. It's a serial killer movie. It's Groundhog Day. And the movie became like Blumhouse's like biggest success ever. Yeah. And it uh, it seems like a no-brainer to do a sequel of some kind, right? But the path of least resistance is another girl, another guy, a different college campus, a, a completely different environment, you know, a different director, and just keep the franchise going. Um, and then if you want to, you can later make like a Happy Death Day 3 that sort of saw uh saws uh sawifies i don't know the term uh for the franchise where you start to build a larger lore um but like they could have easily just been like yeah it's uh, another another slasher happened on campus but instead they did something that's super unique uh that helps kind of smooth over a lot of my faults with happy death day to to you um oh happy death day to you um because uh, it, it, it's such an odd artifact. It, like, it kind of isn't a horror movie. No, it's it's very much a sci-fi comedy. Like, And I get kind of annoyed when the yeah. horror elements come back in. I'm like, we're, we're beyond that. Come on. And horror is like, if you've listened to any episode of the show, you know horror is my favorite genre. And whenever it pops up in this movie, I'm like, all right, we've seen the baby mask shit. Just keep moving. I mean, to be honest, and I think that we'll get into this more later, but the the serial killer parts of both movies are my least favorite parts. Absolutely, but they're also the least unique parts, right? Like, they're the... Yeah, it's the parts that Blumhouse was like, well, this is our brand, so this has to be here. Like, that's that's what it feels like. Yeah, and, and though I will say, like, the idea of casting a Groundhog Day scenario within a slasher genre is very interesting to me. Oh, definitely. Watching the slasher scenes unfold is not particularly interesting to me. And that's why I'm kind of relieved it's PG-13, so it's not drawn out at all. It's just like, that guy got stabbed, keep moving, keep fucking moving. <laughs> and I feel like there's enough horror just in the premise of, like, you know, you can't, you know that, like, there is some kind of mortality coming from you for you every day, and you just have to keep going with it. Like, that's scary in itself. Uh, yeah, yeah. Like, I don't the, think that- It's more existential, you're right, it's more existentially terrifying because there's no gore, there's no torturing, there's no drawn-out kills. Like, kills are pretty much just like, ah, shit, he got me. Yeah. So the serial killer stuff, the first time I saw the first movie, was like- you gotta be fucking kidding me. Because she's she's trying to figure out who's killing her. And we'll talk more about it. 
And then they introduced, oh, yeah, that serial killer is at the hospital. That's who's doing it. And I remember being incredibly disappointed in how unsatisfying that was. Yeah. Uh, And she saves the day. She goes back and does it again, which leads to after she wakes up, after uh, having her hero moment um, and making peace with everyone, leads to a very good twist. So I feel like in the first movie especially, and somewhat in the the second movie, we'll talk about that in a sec, um, I feel like all of the things that go to, oh, I got it, you're going to generic slasher stuff, is there to set up an interesting and fun idea that it wants you to assume it's not going to do. So I'd actually, like, the serial killer stuff in the first one and the second one somewhat work for me. It's just, especially by the second one, it's like, oh, I'm not interested in this at all because I wasn't interested in the first time except that you – it was a fake out. It was a red herring. So it worked there, but now to introduce it again. Unsatisfying. I actually think the second movie's problem is it's a it's a 70-minute movie that tries to extend to, to 100 minutes. I, I, what, I, what we're kind of hinting at is that there are vast tonal shifts between these movies that make them fascinating. Because, like, in some sense, oh... This is uh, this is this is uh, th- this movie softening for a broader audience, adding all these comedy elements and not getting the gore in there. Like horror diehards are uh, weirdly very suspicious of PG thirteen horror movies. I think um, both of these are rated R. Just FYI, there's no way. No, yeah. the second one's definitely PG thirteen. I feel like they say fuck quite a bit. Second one for sure is PG thirteen. Oh, no, you're right. So the first one is PG-13. I was paying attention. You're right. No, I I thought they were both R. I feel like, you know that thing where, <laughs> I guess I have the reverse of where you are so used to, like, people saying fucking movies that you edit it out in your head and then you, like, watch it with, like, your mom or something. You're like, oh, shit, they say fuck every other word in this movie. <laughs> I wasn't even paying attention. I guess I've done the opposite where I've inserted fucks. Into movies because I, I, I don't like that the most... term inserted fucks. I've inserted some fucks. <laughs> it's really just not good. I've mentally inserted fucks. Or is it why, where are you guys going? Why, why have I been cut from the chat? It all makes sense. <laughs> but you're you're right. Like there's a. But I, I really I thought the these were both are. Not not knowing. That's 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 actually leading me to the point that I want to get to, which is Great. not knowing that uh, the movie is PG-13 um, kind of helps you accept it for what it actually is, which it's supposed to be light and limber, and that just because it's a slasher movie doesn't mean every single slasher movie needs to go to 11 every single fucking time. Because, like, there's a lot of slasher movies that I love because they go hard, and there's a lot of slasher movies that I despise because they go hard. And it's entirely dependent on the context of the movie and how those frame those kills are framed and all of that. Largely not a fan of the, the genre. So um, for me, the idea that I'm not like protective of slashers being a gory genre. And I like the idea of this being an approachable movie. It's it's more supposed to be about this sort of like liberating. One second, sorry. I have a cold, and then my dog has a separate cold, and he's doing that fucking reverse sneezing thing. Oh yeah, oh, I hate no. that. <laughs> Unrelated did to the, two colds or whatever, but he has. Did, the dog didn't get the cold from you. No, no, that would require um, oh. some some lab modification <laughs> that I'm just not prepared to do to get my dog sick. Uh, so far, yes, my experiments have failed, Carrie. That's that's what you want me to say. <laughs> I've been trying. 
<laughs> he, keep, he keeps catching dogs colds. I don't. I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't see the fact that either of these movies is being PG thirteen as being uh, a a um, a knock on them that they're so, they somehow were soft or they were softened for a broader audience. Uh, I, I mentally inserted a flood. Yeah, I I, <laughs> I I think that the stuff that the movie does best isn't the stuff that is known for being like particularly gory or gruesome i mean the character dynamics obviously are great and then there's enough interesting uh like philosophical and uh like existential dread that is really what the true horror is coming from yeah so it doesn't have to be a super gory disgusting movie we 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 watched triangle last week for the show which also was a horror take on groundhog day which was uh less of a, a, a stripped uh, less of a strict take on groundhog day and uh that movie has uh lots of gross bloody scenes and those scenes like kind of work more towards what kind of movie it is um but this this one like the fact that it's focused on like the existential like just ennui that comes with like no matter what i do i can't escape these cycles it becomes its own kind of thing and weirdly enough gets the the gets closer to what the original groundhog day movie is about which is about like people build themselves into these recursive cycles of of uh, assholishness um that yeah. make their life seem like it's just one day after another yeah this one this one is the closest to like oh we're taking not just the the story structure and the plot device but the like self-betterment part of the plot um and inserting it in as well because uh i guess over the course of only 11 days based on what the second movie says <laughs> yeah um she goes from a terrible person to wonderful person um so she also i mean they say women can do it faster than men in general right so it took bill murray like 500 years <laughs> takes her 11 days you know i'm i'm accepting of that yeah it makes sense yeah yeah i i, I mean she is she is a college student, okay? They never say she's a bad student. She is somehow in advanced bio. Uh, yeah, I don't think, well, she, is that the one where she's sleeping with a professor? <laughs> she's coasting through advanced bio, so presumably she didn't also sleep with the professor of regular bio. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe she slept, through the, with, she slept with the 101 professor. Biology too, teachers know. know where all the parts are. That's just God. fact. There's also way worse people in the movie than she is. Like she's she she has some flaws and some things to work on, but I don't think that I I she didn't strike me as awful as as uh, Bill Murray's character in Groundhog Day. No, is. you're right. No, Bill Murray goes an extra mile. Oh, a self-absorbed college student? Perish the thought. <laughs> yeah, like she's 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 selfish and she's snarky, but like that's it like she's generally i think like a good-hearted person who's like working through mom trauma yeah and like birthday like in general birthdays can be really traumatic and challenging anyway and mm -hmm. she has a really good reason for her birthday in particular to be especially so so i think it's also that we're seeing a a particularly asshole version of her because of the day that it is yeah and i i mean I don't – she talks about 
what an asshole and what a bad person that she is. Like you said, Carrie, I I don't see much evidence for that, even based on like the circumstances that are described in the movie. No, like a couple of drunk uh, mistakes here, and like it's it's really it's really nothing, or definitely not anything compared to. Probably what all of her friends are like, as we know, because her roommate's a murderer and her and Danielle is a different sort of awful. Um, I think also part of it is that, like, uh, we can talk about it here and then we can get into the, the, the plots of the movie a little more. But, like, uh, she rules as a character. She is very funny. She is very, like, smart. There's so many little funny moments of, like, a lesser movie would have succumbed to. Like, when um, the professor is, like... Th- when she's like, hey, dude, you're a professor. I'm reliving the same day. I would like to talk to you about it. And he's like, um, you know what? It's it's okay. You've got feelings. You're in love with me. I'm a professor. Of course you're going to fall in love with me. And she's like, no. I, like, I don't have feelings for you. Are you an idiot? Like, it's all, <laughs> it's all really good. Like, Jessica Roth, uh, who should be in more stuff. She's really not Hell in yeah. that much stuff. Um, I guess she's in La La Land, and I don't remember her in La La Land. She's one of Emma Stone's roommates, I think. Okay. In that, like, second song. She is so, so flexible. Like, mm-hmm. um, especially in the second one, they, they, I know that they take, you know, weeks to months to shoot these horror movies, but, um, the, the way that scene to scene, she can sort of uh, change the her inflection and her, her mode um, on how she's emotionally reacting to this impossible situation is so yeah. impressive. Like she's she uh, when she's supposed to play like cute, fun, inspi- like genuinely inspiring, like I'm taking life by the horns kind of character. Um, she's super, super there. And when she's supposed to play like scared, uh, you know, final girl uh, kind of character, she's also just like really game. And and the fact that the series balances that out makes it a slasher that I like. And there's 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 ways to make me endeared to slashers. And one of the ways to do that is to uh, humanize your characters properly, which a lot of slashers fail to do. And they just say, well, they're college kids and you're here to see them get fucked up. Um, mm-hmm. uh, this this movie, and, and that's speaking from someone who's a hardcore like horror guy, like uh, for slasher movies can very often be very dehumanizing. Um, this movie is incredibly humanizing. The entire movie is about how much one life matters. And like, yes, it, it, it veers back and forth from time to time to to decide whether or not like this individual sub 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 life matters. But uh, she's fighting every day to figure out why the fuck this is happening to me. And she doesn't veer into existential despair the way Phil Connors in Groundhog Day does. Um She's always trying to solve the mystery and get the fuck out of the, the loop because, like, to her, she's like, this this all matters to me. I had a life. I want that life back. Well, and actually yeah. her approach to being, like, somewhat, like, done with it. In the, like, Phil, Phil Connors had existential despair. <laughs> Phil I Connors feel like, got suicidal on run three. Uh, yeah, pretty quick. Um, <laughs> uh, but I feel like her version of, like, the closest she gets to that is when she... When she decides to uh, change her shirt into the fuck my life shirt and points to it with the kind yeah. of a, a sarcastic smile. Like, that is, like, I feel like the extent of her depression with the situation itself. Not with 
the dynamics with her mom and all that stuff. That is separate from then her true moments of despair and anger, which is when she wakes up after she thought she killed the serial killer in the first movie and in the second movie, like a different, that is like pure guttural frustration. And then in the second one, very much about like, oh, I have to choose between um, uh, cloned young Tom Hanks or my mom. Yeah. I also think that this is proof of how good this movie is at empathy because the way that they craft the backstory and the way that they slowly uh, share information with us about what is actually happening with her, it kind of puts everything... What I was finding on this rewatch is that like, even at her worst, knowing what was coming was making me feel a lot kinder and gentler to her because like having the contact i think it's even in that first loop you see her watching the video of her mom or looking at a photo of her mom and like that already is starting to lay the groundwork of like yeah today especially she's gonna have a short fuse because of just all the mental stuff she has going on and it's like a triggering day for her yeah and Um, she tried to keep her birthday a secret from everyone and her right. sorority finds out and tells every single person on campus. So, like, she's which is ho- horrifying, horrifying, especially the reason that she's trying to keep it a secret. So, like, she's definitely walking around that day from the moment she wakes up, hungover, still drunk, whatever, feeling like garbage, with just like that, like high anxiety. I am ready to be angry at everyone. Like, I'm not. I'm not. Like, there's no way she was her best self. And yeah. Uh, on any on any level that day, and even and even the exchange she has with the one guy um, that we find out later is gay, like it, everything she says to him in that first interaction, like it reads kind of bitchy, but at the same time, it's also pretty legit. Like yeah. being being a woman in a situation with a guy that you had that you went on one date with, and they're like, "Why aren't you calling me?" Blah blah blah, and she's like, "Well, just because you had a good time doesn't mean I did." Like that's like, and he's very waiting real. outside. She's waiting outside of class for her, where she's like, like "Oh, because you don't, because you have a little dick, that's why I'm not calling you anymore." Like she does, like veer into like she, pointless. Yeah. He is waiting she's, outside of class to confront her to see why they're not like still talking after one date. Like I don't is know. He like, waiting outside her for class. Like, I think they just run in. They, they run, run into, into each, each other, other in the, the quad or whatever. Oh, I don't think so because there's the time where she surprises him and he's just standing there behind the pillar and he probably knows her class schedule no no he's coming but she's she's not coming from class yeah Mm, which which is not where she lives i think they're just bumping into each other but like that moment like yes she's being snarky to him in that moment but also understanding like the kind of treatment she probably got from guys there on the regular i understand why she would just be like, absolutely not. I don't owe you anything. Yeah. And I'm not saying does, like everything yeah. that she's done makes her into some sort of like vicious monster. But I'm more saying like the movie is is sort of playing off this idea that she is uh, 
disrespectful of people's feelings like she's sleeping with a married guy even though that's like sure. really his responsibility to not sleep yeah, with a uh, fucking in a lot student. for a lot of different ways that's it doesn't mean that she has zero yes. culpability she's an adult like whatever regardless yeah of course yeah regardless and i'm not saying but that's that's the weird thing is like i'm making an argument here but i'm tr- not trying to make an argument that she's <laughs> fucking like leatherface from texas chainsaw massacre and she needs to go through a huge redemptive arc but the point is that like that's you're right that that's uh the 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 movie is so good at playing with your empathy that like when when the movie starts you're supposed to be like uh geez like this train wreck and then as time goes on you're like oh like i can see the motivations behind her actions and why she's acting so selfishly and why she needed this time and why she treats people this way and then she start because she's seeing that stuff and why she shouldn't behave that way so like yeah the movie's so good that in 90 minutes making you so endeared to her and then by the time you get to the sequel i was like even though i watched the movies back to back i was like pumped to see her i was like my friend (laughs) yeah exactly yeah well since we're already kind of getting into it now that we found out that peter hates tree do you guys ready to talk about uh, Happy Death Day and Happy Death Day to ya? Yeah. Uh, I, oh, I'm, I'm being so rude. Did I wish a Happy Death Day to you guys? <laughs> happy Death Day to you. Oh, happy my God. Happy Death Day to you, Carrie. Happy I, Death I, Day to you, Aaron. Can't believe the whole podcast found out about my death day when I specifically <laughs> tried to keep it a secret from everyone. <laughs> if anything, I'm very frustrated, Peter, but thank you. I have a ringtone that says, hey, it's your death day. <laughs> <laughs> they apparently tried to get a uh, birthday by 50 Cent and uh, they couldn't get the rights. <laughs> and I'm like, come on, 50 Cent. <laughs> go, 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 shorty. It's your birthday. We're going to party like it's your birthday. We're going to sip a party like it's your birthday. And you know we don't give a fuck if that's your birthday. You'll find me in the club. Bottle full of bub, look mommy, I got the eggs, so get in the taking drugs. I'm in the having sex, I ain't in the making love, so come give me a hug, get in the getting rough. You can find me in the club, bottle full of bub, look mommy, I got the eggs, so get in the taking drugs. I'm in the having sex, I ain't in the making love, so come give me a hug, get in the getting rough. When I pull up out front, you see the bins on do. When I roll 20 deep, 29, I say that we don't do alternate tag lines. Lanes or lanes. I I say we don't repave the road with tag lanes from this movie. I say what we do because I was thinking about whether we should like split it up and talk about one movie first and the second movie. I don't think any of us on this podcast has the discipline to do that. We're going to end up comparing and contrasting all over the fucking place. So I'm thinking I do the first movie quick. You jump in and do the second movie right after. And then we just spend the the rest of the podcast talking about whatever we want over this 200 minutes of movie which is less time than the irishman uh when you watch these two back to back it's true <laughs> so i can start is what i'm saying yeah Peter, uh Aaron, I, I just want to do a little comedy bit with you is that okay oh yeah let's oh it's hold on <laughs> sorry we're trying out some new comedy bit boy <laughs> uh, music boy, yeah. you down in the street oh. boy what day is it uh, Christmas, sir. <laughs> no, it's it's Happy Death Day. Oh, if it's Happy Death Day, Good Friday, sir. <laughs> Boy, <laughs> take this baby mask and go murder me the whitest sorority girl you can. 
<laughs> oh, really and truly, sir? <laughs> well and truly. <laughs> like at the same time they executed Jesus or a different time? <laughs> time them up. <laughs> Synchronicity. <laughs> so And uh, scene. And scene. Thank you. Comedy bit. Um, so oh, happy comedy, death day. Guys. Do you want me to do a recap, Aaron? We just talked about it. I just... I, <laughs> I really don't know if I want to. If I go on your Facebook right now, did you just post something? <laughs> I was doing a bit with you. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I was there for that. I know. Moments ago. Did you if reset? My was, if my bit Are was, you looking uh, for yeah, your retainer? Um, uh, I farted or something. Uh, yeah. Clack, 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 clack. Yeah, I farted or something. Um, Hope this podcast reboots and starts over. <laughs> um... <laughs> <laughs> All right, yeah, let's let's do it. Let's do a little uh, little synopsis of the first. Yeah, movie. so it starts out with Tree. She wakes up in a dorm room, and she's like, "Who's this guy? He looks like a young Tom Hanks, and acts like him as well." I hope he Can you also that she's famous. not a tree; she's a person. It's her name, Peter. We don't make short for, for the audience, Teresa. Not for me. Short for Teresa. T. Oh, is it? Yeah. Oh, okay, great. Uh, yeah, so she wakes up, and she's like, who are you? And he's like, oh, you probably don't remember my name. And he, she's like, I don't really. She walks across the quad, leaves his room um, to go figure out what the fuck happened the night before. It's also her birthday, which her phone has alerted me of. She meets a f- she goes through the yard, and or the, the, the quad, and sees a few, like, uh, moments that are going to repeat and be a big part of the story. Like, someone falls down, sprinklers go on. She runs into this guy that she went on one date with that we mentioned who turns out to be gay. Um, and she eventually goes and back to her sorority and Danielle, the, the, the what do they call it? Like the queen of the sorority? What's the name of that? <laughs> What's, who's in charge of the sorority? I, I assume president, it's not a maybe? F- president. There we go. They just kind of nice have Roy. like a, they have an authoritarian vibe all. <laughs> so I, I didn't assume that they were giving like a faux democracy face to it but sure it's like the democratic yeah, well, technically republic they're the general but after the coup uh but yeah so she is the president and she's like we're gonna have a birthday party and what are you doing why were you i'm not gonna use any of the terms myself but she's like where were you and um so she's like stressed out she goes upstairs her roommate who she doesn't like clearly uh is like what what dragged you into the house or whatever and she gives her a cupcake, which she's like, I don't eat carbs. That's so dumb. And throws it away. I feel she. I feel like she goes to the professor there, who she's sleeping with. And uh, the uh, the professor's wife comes in. And they're like, oh, yeah, nothing. Nothing go on. Just helping this this student. Uh, and as she's going to a, the, a party in her honor, which she doesn't want to go to. The the class uh, the school mascot is a baby mask, and there's this person in a baby mask who's just standing there, which she a assumes is a prank by someone she knows, and then assumes it's not a prank. Um, and kind of gets creeped out as she's going through this like tunnel. Um, and eventually, it's not a prank. The person stabs her, and she wakes up the next day back in Carter's room. Um, now feel going through kind of a day of deja vu. Where she starts kind of poking around at the seams and wondering maybe it was just a weird drunk dream. Um, 
But this night she actually goes to the party where someone is in a baby mask. But guess what? It's just someone who has a lot of school spirit, not a murderer. Uh, but this time she's up in the Pleasure Dome with a guy uh, who uh, – and then ends up getting killed. So now on the, at day three, like a lot of these movies, she's like, oh, fuck. I am in some sort of weird cycle. So she talks to Carter about it and Carter's like, okay, well, who's trying to kill you if you're, if you're living the same day over and over again? So figure that out. Who's trying to kill you? Maybe if you don't get killed, uh, you'll stop living the day over and over. So through this process, she is uh, finding more and more about a lot of people next to her because she notes that she's done some shitty things to a lot of people. So it could be anyone that wants her dad. Um, so she eventually goes through everyone and becomes closer and closer to Carter. She keeps filling him in on what's going on, um, only to eventually, uh, cross everyone off the list, but discover that there is this serial killer who's in the local hospital who named Tombs, which I assume is an X-Files reference, who is killed specifically like blonde sorority girls who, when they show a bunch of his previous victims, look kind of like her. So, she's like, that's who must keep breaking out and killing me. Um, so she goes to the hospital, she gets killed by him, and now she's like, that's fine, I got killed by him, I know exactly what to do. So she has, like, a day of, like, making everything perfect. Like, uh, like, uh, being nice to the person who's been asking her for, to sign the thing for global warming, and you know, having a heart-to-heart with her dad and telling off the professor who she's sleeping with that, hey, your wife loves you. Uh, this is bad what we're doing. We need to stop it. She goes and she successfully kills Tombs and then has a celebratory cupcake with Carter, thinking that they've stopped the day from repeating, only to wake up again in Carter's room, now screaming mad that I'm going to be stuck in this day forever. Um, she walks back to her dorm and there's her roommate giving her the cupcake again. When she finally realizes, wait, I ate the cupcake right before I went to bed. I must have died in my sleep from the cupcake. She confronts her roommate, realizes that her roommate has been killing her the whole time. She's been, because she works at the hospital, she's been letting the serial killer out um, to give cover for for the fact as like an alibi for oh that's who's who ultimately killed tree so that she is free and clear from any suspicion when tree confronts her she kind of throws the cupcake in her face makes her eat it and then she says her roommate's in love with i i think the professor yeah okay and so that's ultimately the reason that she wanted to kill her uh because she liked the professor that she uh, that tree was sleeping with uh Ultimately ends with her getting kicked out of the 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 uh, sorority house and happy ending. Carter and her are together, and sh- the like. The last line of the movie is: "It sounds a lot like Groundhog Day." And Tree's like, "What's Groundhog Day?" Oh, the last thing I'll say because it leads right into Peter's uh, recap of movie number two is that the next morning they wake up and they are in the next day, the eighteenth. And the first thing that happens is uh, Carter's roommate comes in and is annoyed that once again Tree is in the room saying, I'm sick of sleeping in my car while you have girls over. And that's the end of the movie. Peter, which leads us to Happy Death Day 2. What's it What's it called again? <laughs> Happy Death Day. Do ya! Happy Death Day to you, Aaron. Uh, <laughs> Jesus Christ. Happy death day to you. <laughs> Happy death day 
to you. Um, so happy would it be weird day. at a at a funeral if you sung that? <laughs> oh, let's not experiment with it. Uh, I sure. I mean, I'm not gonna go. Carrie, did you think my my modus operandi here was to be like go to funerals and try it out with strangers? Yes. So that like I can see if it works before someone I know dies. <laughs> <laughs> moving since moving away from uh, the Chicago area where all of my extended family are, I find myself less at funerals where I'm like, <laughs> who, who is this person? So probably not going to be trying out the uh, Happy Death Day song at any funerals in the future. Do you find yourself at less funerals? <laughs> oh yeah, a lot less. My that was like, that your primary for your your my cousin Janice's funeral, and I'm like, I, I really couldn't care less about. This. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry I'm so for your full. loss. <laughs> this person I've never met. Oh, so not like a close cousin. Yeah, like a, okay. someone that she's never talked to after the age of fifteen. <laughs> Oh, God. Yeah, no. Okay. Yeah. He's like, all right. What Peter doesn't talk about too much is that he comes from a very notorious Chicago crime family. So a lot of second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth cousins who end very, very quickly. So, yeah, he just had to get away from the funerals. Get that schedule cleared (laughs) off of like, oh, dumb Tony died. Oh, what a shock. Um, Yeah. If any Gambinis are listening to this, <laughs> hear me now. <laughs> um, so uh, you try to fly to, to San you. Diego and get me. <laughs> I'm the king of the East Side. I'm setting up a franchise. The Morans are going across the country. Um, so Happy Death Day to You is a uh, a direct sequel, and by that I mean like it picks up seconds before it picks up actually seconds before the ending of the first movie yeah um, and it's uh the uh character who's the who's the guy that gets sleeping in his car shit i need the cast list in front ryan of me. i think yeah. his name is ryan yeah, yeah ryan. ryan. yeah it is uh ryan is sleeping in his car he goes upstairs we see sort of the other flip perspective of what was uh you know him walking in on uh on tree and carter making out um and he's having his own sort of uh death day scenario he goes through his day goes to the lab we're introduced to this device this uh this device that's supposed to measure i don't know the passing of time and possibly slow down how cells experience time or something or atoms experience time or something it's supposed to be this sort of like thesis project for this crew of nerds um samar and andrea and uh so we're introduced to this sort of like nerdcore crew um so he gets murdered and then he wakes up just like Tree did in the first movie. And he's like, what the fuck was that? And then he gets out of his, his car. Um, we probably won't get to it, but he they, they're they setting this up for it to seem like all these other little like moments like we saw at the beginning of Tree's Day when she's walking through the quad of all these things that are going to repeat over and over to kind of set up like, oh, again, with the way these movies subvert stuff is like now it's going to be Ryan who's reliving the same day over and over again. And Tree's going to help. Like the way that Carter helped in the in the first movie, but obviously, it, as Peter will say, it takes a twist. But it does have my favorite little moment that re- doesn't get. To, I would have loved to see it repeat over and over, uh, which is the guy who's playing trombone in his <laughs> dorm. Like, and the guy that comes out to yell at him is 
he'll probably never be in anything again because it's just one of those tiny parts. But he has the perfect line delivery of shut up. It's <laughs> Where really good. It's it so implies good. so much history of of first he's in the hallway probably because his doormate keeps kicking him out and then just like the <laughs> I have had it up to here with this guy playing trombone in the hallway and like this is not the first time the trombone has been in the hallway playing music in the morning <laughs> oh, no. and it's so so good I love I, it sorry we I probably would never get back to it it's one of those scenarios where both of them are assholes yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> That's good stuff. So Ryan uh, realizes that he's in a happy death day scenario uh, by talking to Tree, and it sort of becomes like a buddy movie. Like those three kind of team up, uh, Carter, Tree, and Ryan team up to solve the mystery. They go down to the lab again, um, and they uh, they basically catch uh, some version of the killer. Uh, there, there appears to be, uh, even though in the last movie... Because of the timeline uh, ending the way it did, the uh, was it Jeffrey Toomes? Um, am I yeah, thinking Toomes. Jeffrey Toomes? Whatever. Toomes died. Uh, no, no, no. Toomes was still in custody, so he was never released by uh, Laurie in the first movie. So Toomes is still in prison. So you're like, well, who's the who's the the the, the sad baby? Because Laurie died also in the last movie. Yeah. Um, and there's another one. Um, which makes you believe that this movie is going to be just an endless series of those. Um, but they catch him, they bring him back to the lab or whatever, and they unmask him. And it's another version of Ryan warning him not to not to fuck with the timeline. Just don't do it. And then, uh, at the same time, the dean charges in to basically say, like, we need to shut this experiment down. It's causing blackouts, like from the last movie. Um, and it's, uh, it's essentially just a, a nuisance on campus. Um, and Ryan's like, I really want to run uh, Ryan Prime, the Ryan that we, we know is to be good, uh, really wants to keep the uh, experiment going. He launches the device. No, no, no. Yes, he launches the device, <laughs> uh, even though evil Ryan, let's say, I don't know if he's actually evil, uh, is trying to uh, break it open. And it causes a rift that creates multiverses. Multiversi? I don't think um, it creates it. It just transports tree into one, which is what happened to the other Ryan. But it does point. create it in the sense that that's how I'm going to explain the movie. Um, sure. So... <laughs> It creates a it creates a nexus point. Right? Like you're saying, so. the screen the screenwriter created it at that moment. <laughs> I'm saying there were other parallel paths, but this creates like a nexus point, like an adjoining point where the parallel paths can can intersect. Sure. Um, yeah. It creates a uh, a perpendicular axis to a bunch of per, uh, uh, parallel axes. So um, I always forget you didn't watch Star Trek. This is this is. <laughs> This happens a lot so yeah so this is like this is like the adjoining moment that we'll return to uh, a little bit later so um tree wakes up as if it's the beginning of the last movie uh in carter's bed carter doesn't know who she is that well um and he's like good morning whatever and she's so fucking pissed she's just basically like stomping around campus like i got through this shit what is going on um and then she goes to talk to the science nerds at this point, right? Yeah, uh, yeah, because she immediately realizes that the machine is. Well, she says 
because Ryan earlier told on, her, like, and she was in the room when the science machine blew up, and which also like it gives her a little bit of an existential crisis because she was like, "Oh, I thought that this was some way for me to become at peace with my birthday and my dad and all this stuff, like the universe giving me this chance to grow as a person." And now I find out that uh, it's just Carter's idiot roommate who has played around with science and got me stuck in a time loop. So yeah, so when she's Back in the time loop, she immediately knows who the culprit is. Yeah, I think so she, she goes she goes back to the house first, though, and that's when we start noticing that, like, certain relationships have changed. Yes, you're right, you're right, you're right. Yeah. She goes to, she doesn't go to the science nerds immediately. She goes and uh, she notices that Danielle is now dating Carter, and Danielle's a different person. She knows that Lori, Lori and her have a... I don't want to say less antagonistic relationship, but for the convenience of the synopsis, a less antagonistic relationship because Lori has no interest in murdering her. Lori is sleeping with the doctor slash professor um, instead of a tree. And she goes to the science nerds and she's like, fix it. And they basically concoct a scheme. They concoct a scheme where tree is the tree is the notebook. So, so she actually never says to fix it because when she's in her dorm room, her mom calls her. Yes. So yes, she yes. actually goes back. No. And say, yeah. Right. No. Her dad. Her dad calls her. She doesn't know that her oh, mom is there until she goes to lunch. Sorry. Oh, yeah. Yes, okay. Yes, yes, yeah. But it is that first day that she goes back and says, "I'll fix it so I stay here." Yeah. That, so they, she, that they can't send me back. Sorry. So she's back in the she's back in the loop, and she decides to uh, she decides that she's going to uh, f- try and amend the timeline. She's kind of working on this timeline while wrangling with the idea that, like, her mom's alive in this timeline. She goes to lunch with uh, her dad, and then her mom just shows up. Her, her, her mom that's dead in the other timeline. Her mom and her seem to have a very, like, uh, healthy, encouraging, like, very sweet relationship. Like, there's no um, monkey's paw twist to this. It's not like their parents are getting a divorce or her mom is trying to murder her in this timeline like a us twin doppelganger uh there's no like collapsing timelines where like these this is like the sour timeline and like everyone is gonna eventually turn evil it's just she's her mom is just alive in this timeline there's no there's no real twist on that um but um she's talking to carter she's talking to people as she's sort of ex she's experimenting through uh recursive deaths and mind you in this movie she has to commit suicide instead of be murdered to reset the timeline because if she's murdered for some reason that doesn't count i didn't get that part but i was like okay i just accepted it as a rule of the game because they introduced it just early enough sorry I, i i thought it was more that you need to reset the day so we can keep trying it yeah i think it was just convenient but there's no threat of murder anymore no, she so can't, she, no, no, she's being chased by a new masked killer. Two, two no. masked killers. And she's and she says, you know, I don't want to keep like getting murdered every time. And they're like, okay, just kill yourself instead. And yeah. she's like, all right. And it gets and it gets you that like can I don't think it's that but like she can't scene, be murdered. But yeah. there's a scene where she purposefully chooses to kill there's a lot of scenes where she purposefully chooses to kill herself instead of be murdered. So I I just don't think there's a threat of murder. Yeah. Okay. I don't feel like there's a threat of being murdered. It's not till at the end where she unmasks who the two killers are. And the only reason no, she doesn't want to. She's being chased by a murderer off the rooftop in the in like within 40 minutes of the movie starting. 
Uh, I don't remember that. Yeah, she gets chased by a murderer to the roof of the hospital, and then she accidentally runs off it, and then the day resets. That's in the first movie, I think. That's in the second movie. Okay. It's blurring together a little bit for me. uh, Because I I watched them back to back, and I had never seen the second movie before. So she does run up to the top of that clock tower... But it's just one of her ways to kill her. Different I don't scene. think she, different. Scene. I honestly don't think she's being chased. Different scene. She runs off of a flat like rooftop of the hospital, not oh, the yeah. clock tower. Yeah, I don't. I don't think though that like it's that she can't get murdered. I think that okay, she that's, wants that, to be that clean stuff up. I think she wants to be a little bit in more control of the situation, especially because like even though Aaron pointed out earlier, like. Despite the fact that she knows that her body is failing her, she doesn't really change her behavior. But I think she does still want to be in control of when she dies and how she dies. Yeah. So that uh, because she knows that her body is so pre- in, in such a precarious position. And despite all her rage, she's still just a rat in the cage. Right. And by the end, she doesn't want to die because she's like... It's got a little bit of that Edge of Tomorrow things where he's like, oh, I lost the power. I can't die anymore. Where she's... Yeah. Where she's like, um... Eventually oh, her body's just gonna... Yeah, she end. just doesn't want to risk it, because she's starting to feel the effects. There uh, we go. Okay, mm-hmm. okay, okay. Um, yeah, I thought I, I thought for some reason there was a lore line where she was like, I can't be murdered, I have to commit suicide, because there's multiple scenes where she she chooses suicide over murder, but I like the... I like, if, if you guys are true, which two out of three, uh, if two out of three people can't be wrong, um... The uh, <laughs> um the uh the idea of her being like fuck this I already did this I'm taking back control like that that reads to me yeah that's why she's like doing fun stuff yeah because the sequel is about empowerment right like that's yeah. yeah it's literally like a group of people all working together to overcome a incredibly shitty time warp situation that was of the creation of some of those people. So, anyways, um, she essentially to get through the recap, um, she is. There, let's go through the plots sort of separately. Um, she is trying to uh, get this device functioning by um, memorizing various uh, successful dash failure failed um, like uh, versions of the the code that they need to run for the time machine. Uh, and then coming back each time, be like, try this one this time. And then they'll sit, the, they try it and it doesn't work. And then like the next day she has like a slightly shorter list to share with them. And it's this like very cute montage thing where she has to learn a science that she doesn't understand at all. But like, fuck it. Like she needs to, she needs to make it out of the loop. On the second side, there's also a masked killer, maybe two. She's trying to also avoid getting murdered by that person. Uh, and she needs to also... Uh, the first movie was very singularly focused her avoiding being murdered by this killer this one it's more about her trying to save the day for everyone it becomes more of a like aaron said an edge of tomorrow thing where she's trying to create a perfect day where like none of my friends die we kill the killer 
Uh, I know all the facts I need to know, and we crack this code so I can go back to my timeline. And she's sort of hemming and hawing because, like, she's she's like at some point she wants to she wants to fix the timeline so that she can uh, go back to her original time um, because, like, that's, but she's, that's but where she's she belongs. Not, sorry, but she's not really doing that. She's actually trying to avoid going back to her original time for why? why no, but movie. that's not true because why else should she be trying to fix the fucking time machine? She's trying to fix it so that they can't switch her back. Like she, it's not till the very end when she, when they're about to do it. And remember, she's trying to stop it, call them. And there's that power outage and she can't get through that. She's like, changes her mind. But she goes through different arcs throughout the movie where she's like, I want to go back. No, she decides as soon as she finds out her mom is back, she decides that she She, does not want to go back. Not immediately. It takes her a little bit of time. She kind of goes back and forth between wanting to go back and not go back. And at the Mm. end of the movie, she decides. And she also wants to stop. No, she also just wants to stop the loop. Yeah, and yeah. like that's and that's part of it too is that like it's going to keep until they fix the machine it's going to keep looping. Yeah. Yeah. So anyways, the the point is that at the end of the movie she has a conversation with Carter or towards the end of the movie she has a conversation with Carter and she's convinced that she needs to go back to her timeline even though she she'll lose her mom and that she has a chance she can use this this doesn't mean she has to stay in this timeline. She's kind of robbing the other uh, the other version of her of this timeline. Um she she should go back to where the timeline that she is from, the timeline that uh, created who she is, the person that Carter loves, um, <laughs> and be with that version of Carter, and also uh, say good, use this as an opportunity to say goodbye to her mom. So she kind of has a conversation with her mom, where she kind of says goodbye to her, and they pull off this heist for the last 20 minutes, uh, where they... They steal back the machine from the dean who stole it, and they get it running, and then, like, the timelines switch back to where they're supposed to be. But at the end of the movie, there's sort of this, like, interesting, like, a thing where, like, uh, she knows what's happened, more or less, in every timeline, but uh, not her friends, and not Carter, and yeah. Anything I'm forgetting at the last five, ten minutes of the movie after they switch her back? And then there's the post the post credit yeah. scene yeah. or the mid credit scene. Yeah. Oh yeah, that where they set up like a third movie. <laughs> yeah. The government comes and's like, "Hey, we think your machine's really interesting. We have some idea for some uses for it. Do you know anyone that would be good at like using it?" And she's like, "I got a good idea." And it's Danielle. And also like it's funny that we did this movie and then also we did Carrie with Carrie. Because both of them had like this weird extra scene. Uh, one for Carrie, it was like a deleted scene. But for this movie, it's like that extra little bit adds so much context and flavor to what the movie is actually saying, what the actual oh, movie yeah. is about. Similar to Carrie. Other than that, the movie is very dissimilar. But <laughs> uh, um, but it it I like the it's interesting that they have these movies where like they're sort of like. Uh, not quite extra textual in both cases, but there's these like added little like epilogues that uh kind of affect how you view the movie, and it takes like an extra minute to see them. Yeah, I would have liked. We already talked about how much I would have liked a third movie, but the idea of a third movie where now she is like running experiments on people, I find very good. And it it doesn't seem like the serial killer would be in it at all. Yeah, it would just be. The Groundhog Day thing, but with a sci-fi twist, and it's like torturing. 
this woman that's it, oh, yeah. crazy for two <laughs> movies, which is sounds really awesome. I'm sad we're not getting that movie. I will say, okay, of all the alternate timelines that could possibly exist, I kind of prefer this timeline most of all. Uh, hear me out. Um, because we get an amazing, like, neat little experimental horror concept. Then we get a sequel that riffs on it in a way that movies almost never get to riff on. Like, yeah. it basically takes yeah. the movie into a different genre. Um, and it and it happened so quickly um, because they started filming it, I don't know, within nine to 12 months of when the last one came out. Um, because Blumhouse fucking moves fast. They they uh, they started filming it so quickly that it has uh, huge huge visual similarities and tree looks the same because Jessica Roth is pretty much the same age. Um, they got to use the same campus, same sets. Like they got to use uh, a lot of the same elements uh, for the sequel, but it got to continue it in such a way that like I I, I can't think of a movie that got to do this on this level. This feels like something that's more true to, like, a Stranger Things. Like, where there's, like, a season where half of it is a comedy and then half of it is a straight-up fucking horror movie. Like, it doesn't feel like... It doesn't feel like something that we get in movies very often where, like, it just gets to veer wildly into something else for the next guy. And then, like, the next one, if the, if the next one only exists as sort of, like, conceptual ideas in our memory, like, okay. Like, I'm kind of fine with that. Yeah, I mean, uh, I talked at the very beginning of this month that, like, that kind of Groundhog Day structure was absolutely my shit. Like, if I saw something that was like, oh, they're doing Groundhog Day, I loved it. What I didn't mention, even though I alluded to the episode, was that my first exposure to the Groundhog Day structure was from the Star Trek Next Generation episode that does that, which is called Cause and Effect. It was one of my favorites. Actually, what's interesting is that if I were to mash up the timelines, I think that may have come out before or about the same time as Groundhog Day. That's mm. uh, so. Um, but it's that same thing. Resetting one character is starting to slowly figure out clues. It's not that one character retains all their memory, but it's a time loop. And I fucking loved it. So, of course, when Groundhog Day was doing at the time the cause and effect thing, I loved it. The only other concept that got me that excited when I was watching Star Trek was like, they're doing parallel universes. Uh, there's a Star Trek original series episode called Mirror Mirror, which was one of my favorites. Uh, there, This kind of thing happens occasionally in Star Trek The Next Generation and all the other ones. So that that idea of like quantum theory and each decision like breaks off another universe or something like that was something that like I was super into at an extremely young age just because I was exposing myself to these like heady science fiction concepts through my undying love of Star Trek which we talked about in a whole other podcast that Carrie is also guested on um so imagine my like fucking uh freak out when I realize hey this movie that was doing this time loop thing I love is making a sequel about parallel universes. Yeah. Like it was it was so like right down the middle for me. It was like who uh clearly Michael Landon's son uh grew up not just watching Little House of the Prairie, not just watching some other show Michael Land was in. Wasn't he in like a Heaven Can Wait type show? I only know Little House on the Prairie. Okay. Um <laughs> He was watching Star Trek, I think, because this this oh, movie, yeah. these movies feel to me like someone who is 
also way too into Star Trek and like had all of these things that he wanted to see. It feels like something myself in an alternate universe with like talent and money and a vision and stuff like that would would use to make these types of movies. It's a movie that wears its references and influences proudly and yeah. I feel like that only comes from someone who's a very like pop culture oriented person. I mean, it's not even directly related to the plot, but I love the detail of Carter having a They Live poster in his room. And he had a like, that's Man such poster an... that's like based on the that's based on the Criterion one too. Yeah, like I love that. I love yeah. that he gets uh, that he's a millennial uh, telling another millennial. Uh, <laughs> How have you which... not heard of Bill Murray? <laughs> Have you not heard of Bill Murray? Because that's literally how our generation is, where it's like half yeah. half of us are digging da- digging back 60, 70, 80 years for pop culture, and then the other half of our generation is like, well no, there's like a lot of shit for us to digest. Why would I why would I do that? And both are fine. As someone who's from the former cap uh, camp, I'm fine with the other camp. It kind of makes sense to me, honestly, that like this movie, not not only that like, yes, it's like super popular on its own in general, but it makes a lot of sense to me that this movie is popular around among a lot of people that we know because we're all film nerds and like there's so many like weird film nerd references in both of them. Yeah, I mean, his three posters that I could see are uh, They Live, Repo Man, and Mystery Science Theater 3000, the movie. Yeah. (laughs) Like, I think Carter could be a guest on this podcast. Absolutely. Um, yeah, the movie doesn't hook us up with Carter because he's a nice guy. The movie hooks us up with Carter because he is so game in every iteration of this timeline to be patient and listen to a woman (laughs) explain her emotional trauma. (laughs) And that's why we're like, yeah, Carter seems like a good dude. Why is he so... Also, also... It's actually he's so supportive. It it, it seems like almost a red flag. Like, <laughs> why yeah. are you so desperate? <laughs> we talked about this in Groundhog Day that that mini driver's role is so thankless. Like, but she like in theory it's thankless, right? Like, she doesn't get to grow as a character. She doesn't get to evolve. You just have to buy into her being like an amazing person um, through all the way that she's interacting with another character and Minnie Driver kills it. She's amazing in that movie. Um, I do feel like, you know, the Carter role in this is similarly thankless and he does an extremely good job. I'm not sure the actor's name of being like charming and affable and not like, I like I don't get the sense of like it's a oh yeah I'm yeah whatever oh you're living through multiple universes whatever I need to do to have you to be my girlfriend like he does seem like I don't know like genuinely nice and helpful to like everyone in his life I don't think yeah. Minnie Driver is in Groundhog Day did I say Minnie Driver Andy yes. McDowell Andy sorry <laughs> I was like, I was IMDb'ing. I was like, what? I just read a, a thing on Gross Point Blank <laughs> okay. that, uh, at, like, today. And for some reason, I had Mini Driver in my head. I am very sorry. Obviously, Andy <laughs> McDowell. Mini Driver would have been good. But she, in sorry, in my universe, she is the star of Gross Point Blank. <laughs> <laughs> Andy McDowell, Rita, the, the thing that we contended at the beginning of this month, um, Andy McDowell as Rita in Groundhog Day is perfect as is and uh not to just fucking say the same thing i said earlier but i'm gonna say the same thing i said earlier she's perfect she 
in the sense that there's nothing that she needs to like change about herself. There's no glaring uh, character flaws for her to fix. Uh, she is who she is, and she's a wonderful as who she is in that movie, and probably in real life. But regardless, because yeah, um, because she needs to be because yeah, yeah, yeah. she can't grow, she can't change. And, and she's incapable by, of growth because of the concept of the movie. <laughs> and the entire and the entire movie is also by its nature through our main uh, pers- uh main sorry, through our main character's perspective. So it also means that we don't get a chance to see her unless she's interacting with Phil Connor. So we have to buy a lot of things based on a very like limited space that's afforded to her and she does a great job. Um I think Carter is in the same position in this movie and like Besides the eleven day thing, a little bit like I do. I don't know if I buy their relationship like to the point of like I think I'm gonna marry this person, mom, which is where it's at at the end. But I do buy it in the sense that like, hey, I'm actually not your daughter. Your daughter's in another universe. Your memories are not my memories. Also, I do think I've met someone who's pretty special, and I would be like, there is a upside for me to go back and pursue that besides just saying goodbye to to my mom again but like i buy it to that point and that's a tough that's that's it's tough to establish that level of i think chemistry in in the the limitations that the movie is putting around carter as a character yeah and it's it's kind of refreshing i think to see a a female-led movie where there's a guy who's just around for the purpose of being supportive. Yeah. And it's just kind of like, it's th- an interesting role reversal that you don't get all that often, and he's never... Like, yes, you, you can say, like, okay, it's kind of weirdly suspicious that he's not pushing back on it, but he does genuinely seem like someone who wants to help and not in a weird way and not like he thinks he's going to get anything out of it. Yeah. And that's it, it, that's something that you often see from women in these movies, and getting that gender reversal is kind of neat. Um, but this uh, this Carter guy, uh, if we were doing alternate taglines, I would say, get Carter, because um, that that guy he seems like a good guy. Yeah, he seems like a. Didn't we just Here's get him thing. to have around? Didn't we just talk about Get Carter last week? Like we sure did. That's wh- why. It's why are fresh we talking brain. about Get Carter? Because um, uh, Aaron, my my <laughs> brain is. When broken. you say something, it gets stored in my brain as sort of like handy memory, and it's just right there <laughs> on the top of the floating on top of the water, similar to a floater. Um, and uh, that means the next week, it's easiest for me to grab that as opposed to doing some sort of scuba diving expedition for a smarter reference. Your mind is like Get the grocery smarter. store when you first walk in. <laughs> like, it's just <laughs> like, oh, I guess I do need 80 Cheez-Its, whatever. <laughs> you know you know who Carter reminds me of more than Tom Hanks is uh, Adam Brody. Yeah, yeah, that, there's, that, there's an Adam Brody. Adam they have Brody's a similar meaner. vibe. We also just referenced the OC in a in an episode last week or two weeks ago, excuse me. Yeah. So. Beautiful. Yeah, we we only have a couple references in those <laughs> the movie Get Carter. Um, I'm weirdly to only the remake. Watch all of not the, the, the OC right now cuz she's watched a lot of like uh, middling 2000s TV. And I'm like, you would love the OC. You watched all of Gossip Girl? Like obviously you got to do the OC now. Did you play her the Phantom Planet song and just went see? Uh, I said California, 
here we are. Here we go. <laughs> here we go. Yeah, we never decided what that next line is. If you uh, the episode, anyway. you would hear the actual version of the song, but I can't remember now what it is. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, so uh, the other thing I really want to spend some time talking about is uh, we did we did mention a little bit about how this movie's really good at upending where you think the narrative structure is going to go. I think the absolute best example of that is the when she gets killed by the cupcake. And it reminds me a little bit of my pitch. I'm sure that's where it kind of came from for like an Edge of Tomorrow sequel where he grows old and dies and wakes up again uh, as a as the younger Tom Hanks realizing he never stopped the time loop. Like, I really think that's a good like I was not expecting her to wake up again with the day to start. What's so fun about these movies that are specifically a result of someone dying is that for both Tom Cruise and Tree, um, you can't actually say they're out of the loop until they die again, which probably won't be until they're old because their whole re- they're they're like, oh, I'm probably not in the loop anymore. But then again, they haven't died again, which right. was the trigger to do it. So that like really setting up that like last day at at um. At, on Groundhog's Day, where she's doing all the right things, she's saying all the right things, she's being a good person. Like that's what happened. We we see a lot of that last day uh, before the t- the day changes past Groundhog's Day in that movie as well. And they do all of it only and for to save the day. Dramatic sequence, the kind of sixteen candles reference, only for it to be oh shit, I that wasn't it. I got it wrong. I'm still in the loop. And I do feel like these movies do a lot of that. We've we've referenced the, um, oh, I think this is going to be about Ryan stuck in a time loop. And nope, it's about parallel universes. Like, these movies are really good at knowing the genre conventions and know what would be an unsatisfying story beat. And then does the unsatisfying story beat only to uh, recognize that I knew that would suck, too. We just did it to psych you out. I wouldn't. I don't think I would have minded more time with Ryan, though. Um, yeah, he's pretty funny. Yeah, like I think that there are a few ways that they could have taken the sequel that all would have been fun, and I think that the f- way that they tease at the beginning could actually have worked because it's still introducing us to a totally new set of people. But I like what we got as well. So it doesn't feel like a missed opportunity. Um, so one thing I really love about both movies, but is especially present in the first movie, is that like I think like solving the mystery and Carrie, you probably agree with me. Solving the mystery of like who the killer is is uh, not that interesting to me. No, not at all. Um, and then when they finally give you an answer, it's just like a crazy guy, um, which isn't also like doubly not that interesting um so i love the idea that they like have the this uh these like series of shocks where like okay she figured out who the killer is but that's not the end of the story she still gets reset by the stupid fucking cupcake and then she has to go back and she finds out that there's like a secondary twist on top of that which is someone that we, you know, wouldn't have expected from the start. Um, but my wife, who's much smarter than me, despite having a much smaller skull, um, she... <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> uh, 
I was making that joke like an hour ago before, we, not an hour ago. We've been recording for two hours. Uh, three hours ago, I was like, I was like, man, she's so much smaller than me, but she's so much smarter. Uh, <laughs> you figure? I just, I don't know how much of a thick skull I've got in here, but it must be using up a lot of brain space. Um, <laughs> but, uh, anyways, so. My wife, who's much smarter than me, uh, pointed out she, there's a scene where uh, Tree dies and uh, she's in a cop car and she basically steals a cop car to get away from the killer. The cop car flips and uh, there's a um, somebody flicks a candle at the the gasoline trail. What do you call it when gasoline leaks? The gasoline stream uh, to make yeah. it spark up. And it's a candle. And she was like, oh, at that point, I knew it was Lori. And I was like, what? Oh. <laughs> I was like, what? And she's like, yeah. I mean, it links back to the cupcake thing. And I was like, oh, shit. Like, that's kind of fun that the movie is, like, sort of setting itself itself up as a soft mystery. This isn't Knives Out. This isn't Murder, Murder on the Orient Express. This isn't, like, a whodunit. Um, but it does have, like, light mystery elements, which makes, I think, slashers more fun. Slashers are more yeah. fun when there's sort of light mystery elements. Yeah. And I liked that, you know, similar to what we were talking about earlier, where is she an asshole? Is she not an asshole? Is she she definitely, no, no matter what you think of her, like, as a person, she's definitely done things to piss people off. And <laughs> yeah. so initially, Carter's like, well, let's make the suspect list. <laughs> And she starts, like, and she's thinking about, like, who could it possibly be? And it's, like, she's listing all of these people that, like, she could have pissed off at any point in time recently. And then we get distracted by the fact that, oh, right, there's a serial killer. Let's pay attention to him. And then I really appreciate that the movie entirely loops back to, like, oh, yeah, it's someone she personally knows who just pissed at her for, like, dumb reasons because they were both kind of idiots. Yeah, I love the idea that she's building this, like, enemies list, and then as she's exploring the enemies list, she's, like, learning about the people around her, and she discovers that uh, one of her, um, somebody who's, like, been pursuing her, Tim, um, is gay. And yeah. uh, this is actually a more complicated thing than um, it, it turned out to be. And this moment... Carrie, I really wanted to dive in with with uh, you on because in some sense, it's like a fun, like liberal yes queen moment where like she's like pumped about like being able to be supportive for this guy. And she's like, yeah, oh, it all clicks into place. And in another sense, like, well, a it's by erasure. But uh, yeah, another, but in another sense, it's sort of like the way that certain people try and um own the sexuality and box in the sexuality of uh, LGBTQ uh, folks. Um, and, like, I don't expect this movie to, like, solve the perfect way when you're in the middle of this weird, like, uh, I don't know, time clock murder event. <laughs> the perfect <laughs> way to respond to finding out that a guy that has been kind of bothering you and you kind of want to go away uh, is actually gay. And like by just telling him like, hey, like we, we don't need to do this, this dance, like go 
you can go pursue someone else. Um, by being like a ally to him, I can help him out. But like, it just, it happens so quickly. It feels cringy to me. How did you read all this? I think that the problem, I generally don't mind it, but I think the problem with how that subplot goes is the fact that she acts like she's telling him like (laughs) you're gay you don't have this information i'm giving you that information which clearly he does have that information because the only reason that she knows is that he's been watching gay porn so like it's not his first time watching gay porn he found a pretty cool video about a jail cell and (laughs) yeah it's it seemed it seemed like you know reasonably decent stuff and you know (laughs) you don't find that stuff on your first go around okay you find the garbage on your first go around because you don't know the good sites totally so he's he's (laughs) found he's found his stuff and it, it it seems more like the the thing for her to say in that moment is like you know you don't need to pretend to you know be into women like it's you know just be yourself but it but it feels more like she's telling him like i know that you're gay and this is new information for you you should go and like be gay it's like he's been gay the whole time (laughs) i don't know and also but also she saw him watching gay porn for eight seconds like maybe he's uh curious maybe he's bi maybe whatever like it's a weird it's a weird moment she's like you are gay and leave me alone (laughs) yeah but i i do i do agree with you though peter that like why it's interesting even if that moment doesn't fully work is i like the idea of as she like is the the idea of humanizing her supposed enemies list right like she is going through and realizing more about these people and then trying her best to reach out to them as like, oh, I should have taken the time to figure this out potentially about certain people. Even her roommate, she like ends it before she discovers that, you know, that her roommate is the one who's poisoning her. She kind of goes and I think there's a moment of legitimate like, hey, I've been a bad roommate to you. I've been a bad friend to you. I've just been a bad person that you've had to exist with. And that sucks, and I'm going to try to do a little bit better. Like that; those moments are are good. I like those moments. Yeah, I also think it's kind of a nice nod um, in the second movie when they're in the stadium and she looks up and sees him with another guy. And it's like, oh, yeah. you know, I'm happy to see you. You know, it's it's it. I mean, impressive that like in a day. He like found a new date, but I don't know. It's college. Maybe that yeah. maybe things move quickly. Maybe he had like he had his like second choice lined up, or like maybe that was his boyfriend on the side, and now he's proud to to, to come come out of the closet and be in public with his boyfriend or whatever. Yeah, like, it, yeah, it, exactly. Like, you could read it a lot of ways. Like I'm I'm willing to give this movie like the benefit of the doubt, but like it is a thing where it's like. Like, this movie came out in, what, 2017? Yeah. yeah. Like, I, I just expect this stuff to be handled a little bit more. Just, like, just be chill, dude. Just just, just be delicate, be sweet. Just, like, let the moment happen and keep moving as opposed to this, like, I'm a white straight woman and I just saved your life. <laughs> so I know we're going to be bumping up against time here pretty quick. I want to talk a little bit about Danielle. Yes. Um, she is, I mean, supposed to be 
I don't want to say irredeemable, but she's supposed to be like the worst, like the type of person that people go, oh, she's the worst in both incarnations, both universes. Because even the the nicer one uh, in in universe number two, uh, you find out has uh, is is closer to the Danielle that we've uh, come to know and love in the first movie as well. Um, I will also say she has my the the line that makes me laugh the hardest in either of these two movies which is at the end where she is angry um that a sorority sister tried to poison another sorority sister but mostly she was angry at how bad the plan was <laughs> and that and that like you're trying to kill a sorority sister by giving her a cupcake again it's a very funnily delivered line about like a serious problem in sorority culture but like uh just the we're kappas we don't eat cupcakes there is something about her being just furious at the method. Bad idea that is very funny to me. But she's so good at all of those moments. Like, she is a great villain in these movies. Yeah. Yeah. I uh, when, when you were making the Carrie parallel earlier, they're obviously very different movies. But I do think that Rachel Matthews as Danielle and Portia Doubleday as Chris Harginson are like two of my favorite, like <laughs> delicious, deliciously horrible teen girls of recent years. <laughs> like they're like both just like horrendous people, but they ham it up so perfectly that I just enjoy watching every moment of them. Yeah, she's so funny. And even, like I said, even though I think that scene's placement kind of makes a movie, the second movie feel a little off and wrong, or not off and wrong, off and long, um, that scene where she's pretending to be uh, uh, blind or a blind French woman is, like, very funny. But it's, it's the part of the reason why all those moments are so funny is that even when she's supposed to be, like, faux woke in the second version, she's so bad on it. She's, like, that typical person who you meet and, like, who's, like, I know buzzwords and I know what I'm supposed to say and I'm going to do that even though I don't necessarily think or understand or feel that way. Which is, like, the opposite of how she is in the first one, which is, like, someone who, like, almost overwhelmingly rejects the even need to be like white liberalism or woke because she's a kappa like that's all that she needs to be and everything everything that comes out of her mouth stems from that so yeah i can it's not evil i'm i'm the president of the sorority yeah i i like the you know they they have the reference early in the second movie that she's auditioning for the miracle worker and at that point when when they were <laughs> yeah. like we need you to we need you to like help us be be a diversion she not only is like practicing her blind acting but then she's like i'm just gonna throw a french accent on top of this and it's like ultimate terrible drama girl just like what are all of the terrible things i need to practice right now yeah it's so good yeah. So speaking of which, like we talked about the fact that there's like an extended heist sequence in two and the fact that two kind of stops being uh, a horror movie and to kind of point us like uh, roughly towards the end, uh, however long this takes. Um, the uh, I like I, I I like the idea that you can watch the first movie and it's like a contained little uh, little specimen similar to Frankenstein and Bride of Frankenstein like 
They don't really need each other to operate. All you need for uh, Bride of Frankenstein to operate is like the premise of the first movie. Monster was created. Monster was buried uh, under some rubble after uh, uh, townsfolk chased him. For this movie, it's like the first movie is is a, n- a lean, mean little movie, but it left a little hints that something weirder was happening, which I think would be like plot holes to a dumb fucking CinemaSins kind of account. But uh, they were they were little uh, seeds. Because Christopher Landon is a smart dude, and he was like, oh, well, if this movie makes a lot of money, I'll get to make a sequel, and then I get to do this. Uh, And then he made this movie that's, like, in to me, in a completely different genre. Like, this is more of a time-travel-y, multiverse-y, like, let's play with the concept style movie in the way Bride of Frankenstein is to me, Um, even though it's not, like, just one-to-one, that I really quite like. And uh, the idea of just... If you had introduced this uh, Sisyphus machine, which uh, just to note here, uh, it's funny, Aaron, that both this movie and Triangle used Sisyphus as like the um, Greek mythological figure to uh, hint at uh, for like, oh, every day you start up and you push the rock up the hill and then the rock falls back down the hill. You get your work done and you just keep pushing... Uh, you keep pushing it up the hill, it keeps falling back down. Because um, in Triangle, it was it was hinting at Aeolus and Sis- Sisyphus as sort of these these uh, these figures of like, no matter how hard you work, your work will be undone at the end of the day. This movie, I feel like the sequel is for anybody who has like ended the movie and was like, I want an explanation. I'm like, well, no, you don't really want an explanation. Like, I want an explanation. You're like, all right, fine. We're making a whole movie that's about the explanation. Then we're going to make an actual film around it to explain the concept and how the concept could be elaborated on. You're like, okay, cool. So, like, it, it's the kind of, even though they're so close, to me, they feel separate. Like, one is the core object, and then one is like, all right, if you want to get into the lore on how the first movie happened, here you go. And if they had introduced this device at the end of the first movie, it would be a genuine red mark on the first movie. I would have been so fucking annoyed if they had just in the last 20 minutes been like, oh, I'm sorry, I was doing a science experiment. Like, that would have been so fucking annoying. But in this movie... They, the sequel, they make it part of the initial buy-in. They say, all right, you showed up for the sequel. Here's what the sequel is. The sequel is that there's a device. It's what created the situation in the first movie. And the device is going haywire. We got to fix it. Yeah, I, I, I like that they kept them as separate entities. And it sounds like from, from what Aaron was saying that the writer was planning this out far enough in advance that he knew what he wanted to have the second movie be about, but didn't want to include too many of those elements in the first one so that it would be fresh in its own thing when the time came. He wanted it to be there so that if you were doing something like we are doing and, and presupposing the audience is done, which is watch them back to back, um, that you go, Oh, holy shit. These, these fit together really well. Yeah. It's a very ambitious sequel idea because the first 30 minutes when they're going back over what happened in the first movie and all that, it just feels like they're justifying themselves. Like it feels very self-conscious at first um, because and it's also moving very fast. Right. Uh, But then you realize, holy shit, the first 30 minutes are just setting up the last hour and 10 minutes. Yeah, exactly. That does kind of segue to my final thoughts a little bit, too, in that like 
If you listen to this podcast, you know that I am a big fan of maximalism, and I just like like movies don't need to be always like these. Like I need to to make a unique object of art. Like a lot of great movies are unique objects of art, and they influence other people in like these combined ways, and they make more good art. And great, that's fantastic. I love that. Uh, but uh, what I what I wish more movies did more of is just said fuck it let's have fun with this idea and i don't have to worry that this idea has been done in groundhog day or i don't have to worry that like going back into the movie that we were just in for a new twist on it but in an alternate version it was done back to the future too like those are good fun ideas and i don't have to justify taking good ideas if i have a uh, a story I want to tell around those ideas because I think they're fun. And I think both of these movies are really like if they had a campaign slogan, it would be more fun in movies 2020 because even though they, they're not just fun, right? Like they do have a story about a, a, a really good central character who's well fleshed out and has, like I said, just an amazing performance throughout it. And they weave in this this great story of trauma and kind of like – in some ways, almost deciding to like in this very literalized version about how they're going to move forward with their trauma. In this case, it's a very literal decision she makes. But I think the underlying theme of like, okay, I am making a choice to move on with my life in this way, knowing that this is what has occurred to me is like very well done and really, um, really adds a lot of emotional resonance to her character as a whole. But at the end of the day, it's it's these wonderfully directed moments, these very funny characters, and these very fun, heady concepts that should be stolen for more movies. And as we come to the end of this month, like I want a hundred Groundhog Day movies, like at the with different do a horror, do a more real horror one, or a western, or I don't care. We kind of I listed at the beginning of this month like all of the TV shows that had done a Groundhog Day episode because i think it's easier to do uh them in tv shows because it's just one episode out of 26 and so we'll use the concept and it won't be that big of a deal whether it works or doesn't as we were going through that list i mentioned that man most of these i've seen are some of the best uh, or the best episodes of their respective series and i just i'm not saying that you need to do 100 groundhog day movies but like i just want more of these like time loop and parallel universe and like a hundred other fun ideas that have been done in these uh, in these other uh, pieces of, of of media or art, like fucking take it if you and go do a movie on it. Like I just feel like that rarely happens. So that when I see oh shit, they're doing this horror Groundhog Day movie, and then I see the sequel, and I'm like holy shit, they're doing a parallel universe movie. <laughs> like those never come out. Like it just it was so exciting to me, and I just wish more movies would have this much fun with these kind of like heady sci-fi concepts. Yeah, I mean it's 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 a weird balance because. I'm with you that I think that both of these movies are incredibly fun. Um, I, from the second I heard that there was a second one coming out, I couldn't wait to see it because uh, the first one just surprised me with how clever and fun and enjoyable it was. For whatever reason, the stuff that I find myself most drawn to in these movies are kind of the the existential philosophical ideas that it's pulling at. And I 
think that it's probably good that it only spends as much time with those ideas as it does. But at the same time, you know, we have a couple of references in the second one to the fact that, like, the the horror that uh, Tree is experiencing is the is the knowledge that her mother's memories are different than her own memories. And I feel like we could have done without the serial killer stuff altogether and just focused on that concept. Because that is a really scary concept. Like, that is horror movie material. We talk about the second movie is like, you know, it's more sci-fi, and it is. But, like, there is emotional horror there that's, like, actually really deep and interesting. And the movie, because it's so fun, it never fully goes there, which is fine. But it also is making me want to see a more dramatic version of this kind of story, um, of like this this kind of setup specifically, um, to see if it can explore that aspect of it a little bit more. Um, but yeah, I mean, I find them really charming. I, I love that the conceit allows for the same group of actors to really have fun exploring different relationships with each other in both movies because their dynamics change entirely in the two of them um and that's i don't know if we did we even mention that carter and danielle are dating briefly briefly yeah but like being able to see the dynamics change entirely in both movies is, is i think the best part of having the same cast come back because it's just allowing them to explore the universe more and have fun with it. So I hope that something changes and we get the third one. Because I would really love to see where they take it. Yeah, I mean, you can make these things for $5 million. Like, yeah, exactly. make money, Jason Blumhouse. Um, Seriously. But uh, yeah, Carrie, thank you so much for joining us to talk about more Dead Moms. Um, My pleasure. <laughs> these double episodes are always like kind of challenging i feel like because it's like oh we we are one of your first uh appearances was on the never ending story part two but that felt like more of a coda than like trying to give full coverage but it's a lot to talk about um and a lot to watch and a lot to keep in your head and i i made the mistakes of having two separate files with my notes which i think was a bad idea but (laughs) why was i going back and forth it made no sense uh but uh, but thank you so much for joining us, um, and we're glad that we already have you booked for April, which we Yay. are not ready to reveal yet. But before we talk about March, which we are, uh, do you have anything to promote? No, I'm working on uh, a project that's going to be going on for quite some time, so I have nothing new and exciting to share, but uh, it was a pleasure as always to be here, and I am excited to be back again soon. Awesome. Uh, I think the next time you're on, we're talking about one movie officially with the possibility that we all watch eight or nine different movies. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I, I, we should talk more about that because I think that <laughs> yeah. that's we need to like have like a syllabus for it a little bit. <laughs> I think so. Uh, yeah. uh, excited to hear what that big project is later. But our next big project, Peter, is uh, is kind of a grumpy guy, they would say. Kind of kind of a little, I don't know. Um talking about me perturbed pete you now you're now you're ruining all the ep, uh the jokes from our episode that we've already recorded nope for this it. is a new one 
Uh, oh, are you working on some stuff in the background? Workshopping. Just some new it's stuff. Not, it's not Perturb Pete. It's not uh, Angry or Asshole Aaron. Ornery Aaron? Remember that? That's not how it's spelled. Uh, talked, we talked alliteration about Alliteration isn't as important as pronunciation. As well. We didn't get to do a C name. What would be one for Carrie? It's not... Uh, Caustic? Cranky Carrie. Carrie? Cranky Carrie, even better. <laughs> Caustic. Caustic. Crabby good. also would have been better. Caustic sounds a little aggressive. Carrie's a nice uh, person. I'm I'm yeah. not very aggressive at all. <laughs> yeah, but I can see her being cranky or crabby. Yes. Yeah. Um. So, like at us right now, for not getting to the fucking point. My nickname. My nickname when I was a counselor at summer camp that one of the kids gave me was Scary Carrie. Ooh, that's yeah, but good. this this guy's not scary. He's I would dare say mad, uh, and his last name is Max. Actually, his first name is Max, but in the title, his last the last <laughs> name they give you as part of the title is Max. It's Max. Uh, uh, so but it's yeah, like his name Korean is Matt. Name where like uh, it's surname first. Surname then first. first. Yeah, name? sure. Yeah, Mad Max. I don't know how it works in Australia. He's from the he's um, from the Mad family. He's from the and Mad his, family, and his first name first is name Max. Max. Um, Max Mad, as they would say in the States. Uh, yeah, but we're doing the Mad Max movies. All four of them. Oh, man, we're not going to cover the plot of the Mad Max video game? Uh, sure. My, from my understanding, you collect things. <laughs> I haven't played yeah. it. You, you uh, drive through the desert and you collect ooh. stuff. Uh, there's your recap of the Mad Max video game. Great. So we're starting with one now. So one episode down. Our next four episodes for March Maxness are Mad Max with the Koski brothers. Uh, the Road Warrior with returning uh, family member of Peter's Bill Fox. Uh, Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome with uh, Amanda Lett who would not let us not talk about Tina Turner without her. And then we're wrapping up the month with Mad Max Fury Road with Joseph Finn, who's been a more regular guest on our uh, end of year best of that we, we've been doing for four years now. And we wanted to invite him on because uh, the first year we did those, which was two, 2015, all three of our number one movies of that year were Mad Max Fury Road. So we're excited to be able to bring Joseph back and talk about that movie that we all loved so much, and I assume still love in more detail. So yeah, uh, also uh, very sorry to everyone that you that listened to Groundhog Day so many times. Um, if you're from the future and don't want to deal with why there's that many Groundhog Days posted on our feed for the month of February 2020, uh, you want to listen to the first and the last one. You can ignore the two in the middle. <laughs> uh carrie did you get it because it's like a groundhog day thing yes 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 oh. it's not see you're recording this before the third one drops it's gonna be way less funny next week <laughs> but then then by this point you've we've also released the final thoughts and then it's like oh finally but probably no one's gonna listen to that because everyone's gonna be like i'm not falling for this a fourth time <laughs> i ain't falling for this one again those boys are going to make me listen to Groundhog Day one more time? Listen, Someone frankly, it's a us. gift to get to hear our voices multiple times, uh, especially on the same topic and the exact same inflection and production. But um, That's true. I, I've never been so happy our tracking doesn't extend to what minute people tune out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, man, it would, have a, it would have to be sort of a 4D graph where they not only tuned out to that episode, they also tuned out to the show 
uh, in yeah. general. <laughs> Fun oh. way to get more listens to an individual episode, though. Uh, yeah, um. get to, yeah, that we get to milk more listens out of one single episode, and also it has a cost to. All, yeah. pr- all future oh, episodes. Yeah. We talk about that cost quite a bit on the actual final episode that this was probably a bad idea, but here we are to give us final thoughts. Yeah. Also, if I remember correctly, we pick off immediate, much like Happy Death Days, we pick up immediately after the last thing that was said in the first one. So hopefully you remember what that was. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, thank you, Carrie, yeah. again for joining us. And, thank you. Uh, this was so fun. Yeah. Thanks for thanks for coming on. So, uh, Carrie, do you want to talk about Happy Death Day and Happy Death Day to you? Always. Always. All right. All right. Uh, right after the break, Let's we will do it. talk right about the break. Happy Death Day. Yeah. to We Love to Watch. If you made it to the end, hopefully you liked what you heard today. And if you'd like to hear more, please go to patreon.com slash we love to watch. And if you can chip in a few bucks, that would really help us keep the lights on and keep us moving forward. Uh, it wasn't an implicit threat by Peter. He just didn't know how to say it. But either way, we'll continue to make more. But it would be helpful uh, as we explain to our loved ones where all our money is going, which is all on server space. Uh, <laughs> if you can't, <laughs> uh, if you don't have a few bucks to chip in, we totally understand. And you want to support the show. We truly, absolutely would appreciate a uh, review on iTunes. I know every podcast says it, and it's because it really does help. And so every podcast wants that help. So please go leave us a positive review so that when people find this show organically, they hopefully want to tune in and listen. And thanks again for all of your listenership and support and time throughout the years. Uh, We really do appreciate you. Uh, With kisses and smooches, Peter and Aaron. (laughs) Mm. 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 <laughs> <laughs>